0: says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin no one who abides in him keeps on sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him little children let no one deceive you whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does god's will abide in him little children let us not love in word or in talk but in deed and in truth by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him for whenever our heart condemns us god is greater than our heart and he knows everything beloved If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. So we'll start by going back to verse 4. Here in verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Here we see that John redefines sin. Sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is defined as a state of disorder due to a disregard of the law. When we sin, we are left in disorder. Our entire being is affected. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. Some say sin doesn't affect us spiritually, or even that we don't have sin at all. Sin will affect not only your physical being and your spiritual being, but also your relationships with others. Adam and Eve, sorry, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and left the whole world in disorder. This affected us spiritually by separating us from God and making us unable to reconcile the relationship between us and God. There are many examples of how it affected us physically. We can think of um, diseases such as cancer, we can think of death. We can think of illness, COVID-19, things like that. This is how we know that sin affects us physically. And if you want a really good example of how sin affects us physically, you guys should go ask your mom how her pregnancy was. To say that sin affects us Physically, but not spiritually, would be like saying not turning in any homework for a class would affect the grade in that class, but not your overall GPA. As college students, you all know that is not true. Sin affects us, body and soul alike. It is not body or soul. It is body and soul. Everything we do has a capacity to affect our body and soul. The movies we watch, the music we listen to, the books that we read, the content that we scroll on the internet, this all can affect our body and soul. A common lie we hear, especially in today's culture, is that sex is only physical. We know this is not true. An even further lie is pornography has no impact on the way we view others. Some people, such as Dennis Prager, who is a conservative man, uh, runs PragerU, you might know it, it's a conservative website, and a lot of people like it, Dennis Prager would say that pornography is healthy for a marriage because it keeps people from actually cheating, whatever that means. We know that that is absolutely false. Whether you're in a relationship or not, porn will transform the way you look at the opposite sex in so many ways. Porn will tell you that sex is only for your pleasure and what feels good to you. Bottom line is, porn is selfishness. Porn is lawlessness. This is just one example. Um, A better example we can look to is Jesus. Jesus, uh, he did not just obey God spiritually, but with his entire being. Christ was put through the same temptation we face and Adam faced, but was obedient to the Lord in a boring sin. Christ knew what was to come when we look at Luke 22:42, 42, and his response at the end of this verse is still, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Christ was, the night before, going to face the worst death penalty a man has ever faced on earth and instead of doing what he easily could have done as 100% man and 100% God, his response to our Heavenly Father is not my will, but yours be done. Christ modeled obedience perfectly for us and has shown us how we are to treat sin. Going further into verses five and six, the he that these verses are referring to is Jesus Christ. Some of your Bibles may say appeared, some may say manifested, some may say revealed, The point is, Jesus actually came in the flesh and was sinless, contrary to the belief of the opposers at the time of this letter and also contrary to the belief of many people we come into contact with today. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Of course, this is not saying that we will be perfect as soon as we are saved. This is not talking about one single sin. Is talking about the habit of sin in our lives. Some would contend and say, "To sin is to be human." This is said as just a brush-off excuse for sinning. It makes it seem like there is no way to fix. It. it makes it seem like there is no way to fix sin, so we should not even try. It also makes it seem like a requirement to be sinful if you are a human. Well, if we go back to Genesis one, verse twenty-seven, we see that God created man and woman in His image, and in verse thirty-one we see that God says, it is very good. Therefore, God created humans, Genesis three is the fall. We know God created humans before the fall happens. We know that God is not sin, did not create sin, is not of sin. Therefore, if God created humans in Genesis one and the fall didn't happen until Genesis three, we know that God, or that um, sin is not, sorry. We know that to sin is not to be human. Sin is a result of the fall in Genesis 3. Um, Then we'll look to verses 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do not be deceived. What you do matters in accordance with your faith. There are consequences to choosing sin versus choosing Jesus Christ. We can refer back to verse 4 and clearly see this. Sin will always drive a wedge between you and God and will also drive a wedge between you and the ones you consider friends and family. Sin will never be able to give what it offers. We'll turn over to Proverbs 5, 3 through 6. If you want to turn there, you can, but like I said, you don't have to. Proverbs uh, 5, 3 through 6 says this, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But at the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. This is a perfect example of what sin does. Sin does is the honey from her lips. Sin will tell us that it is good. Sin will entice us. Sin will try to get us to go after it. You must do what Joshua does in Joshua 24:14 and 15. It says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here is maybe the final and best plea for why you ought not to choose sin and instead to choose Christ. We know that Christ has already come and bore our sins on the cross. So no matter what sin entices you to do, no matter what promises it offers, Christ already died for our sins on the cross. Therefore, sin is defeated, and it has no power over us. If you choose sin, you cannot win. Choosing Christ is the only way. Um, We'll go down to verse 9. Verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What does John mean when he says things like this in verse 7 and verse 9? Especially since just a few weeks ago we heard 1 John 1 8 say, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, we certainly do not believe. That is, the moment we are saved, we are automatically made perfect and never sin again. So what could verses like these mean? D.A. Carson says, this is not John telling us we are not able to sin. John is saying, those who make a true confession of faith and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ cannot go on choosing sin over Christ. It is inexcusable. We must understand that in order to grow and be sanctified, sin is unacceptable. Here's an example. This is like when you're playing a game of pickup basketball and you're on defense and you're guarding the person with the ball. Your opponent or your teammate might look to you and say, you cannot let him score. The proper response to your teammate in this situation would not be to say, oh, I bet I can, and then open your hips and let him drive into the lane and score the game-winning bucket. Your teammate does not mean you are not able to let him score. This is not a challenge from your teammate. This is your teammate telling you you cannot let him score, because it is detrimental to the team, and we will lose this game. You cannot sin, because it is detrimental to our lives. You cannot sin. Um, maybe a helpful way to look at, or maybe a, another helpful person to hear on this is Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon says, "If Christ has died for me, ungodly as I am, without strength as I am." then I cannot live in sin any longer. I must arouse myself to love and serve him who has redeemed me. I cannot truffle with the evil that killed my best friend. I must be holy for his sake. How can I live in sin when he has died to save me from it? Hmm. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. This is how we can be reassured that we are of God. When we look at our lives, is there more and more and more and more sin that we love and that we indulge? Or is there repentance and belief in Christ and sanctification from the Lord? Speaking of a life of regular indulgence in sinning versus a life of uh, sanctification, We have the examples of Cain and Christ in the next section. We'll go through 11.24 now. We have the examples of Cain and Christ. We will see how sin affects our relationships with others, as previously stated when talking in verse 4 about sin is lawlessness. So verse 11 and 12 say this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. If we go back to, you don't have to turn there. If we go back to Genesis 4, 6 through 7, it says this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Cain is told about his sin, and instead of repenting and treating sin for the terrible thing it is, Cain chooses to dive deeper in. We see where it leads him, eventually killing his brother. Is this to say that if we all dive into the worst sins that we will turn into the worst form of it? Not necessarily. However, this is a very good example of the effects of sin on us when we do not repent, and in fact, go the opposite direction and indulge in it when we love our sin. The Lord asks Cain a fair question here. God is just. He is not unfair. He tells Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? This is a similar promise to us when we repent of our sins and believe in Christ. Cain is warned about his sin and told to rule over it. However, he does not listen. He chooses to go deeper into his sin and told to rule over uh, Wait, sorry. He's told to go, or he chooses to go deeper into his sin, which eventually leads to him murdering his brother you guys realize how it could affect the relationship with others now? This is what sin really offers. A further separation between us and God and a further dive into much more sin. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. This is John giving us a fair warning. Not only will we have to fend off our own sin, not only will we have to hate our own sin, we will also have to fend off the world who indulges in their sin. This is John's fair warning to us. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. It is normal. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. This is a fruit of being saved. This is how we can know and take comfort in our salvation. Verse 15, um, sorry. Verse 15 also pairs along with that. This reiterates the fact that you cannot boast in your sin and be a Christian. It is completely contrary to one another. These things mix like oil and vinegar. Then we have um, example number two, Christ. Christ is our example for what it looks like to love a brother. He laid down his life for us. It is evident that Christ loved us by what he did for us. It is evident that as Christians, we love our brothers Because of how we treat them, what we do for them, how we watch over them and disciple them. Loving your brother can look very different. Oh no. Loving your brother can look very different and all still be correct. One I think of that is hated by many people today is calling a brother or sister out for their sin. It is actually unloving to allow a brother or sister to continue in sin. How many Christians have you heard say, I don't care what people do as long as it doesn't bother me. Or my personal favorite. Well man, that's just gonna be between them and God. This misses the mark so badly. This is contrary to what loving a brother or sister looks like. Caring for our brother is tackling them off their train tracks when they say when they feel perfectly safe being there. It's holding them down as the train that is sin passes by. Loving our brother or sister looks like praying for them at all times. If you truly love your brothers and sisters as Christ loves us, you must tell them when sin is festering. You must beg them to turn away from their sin and look to Christ. Thank the Lord that sanctification is not a lonely road. Thank the Lord that sanctification is not a lonely road. It is not, you do you and I'll do me and we'll see who ends up better off in the end. It is coming alongside your brother or sister and picking them up encouraging them, exhorting them when they need it, and hoping they do the same for you when you need it. The final section we'll go through is um, verses 19 through 24. Oh, sorry, 18 through 24. Um, Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. We also love our brothers not just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Because that is the model that Christ has given for us. <clears throat> verse 20, or sorry, verse 19. "By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. If your heart condemns you, you have assurance in knowing that our heart is not the final judge. God is, and He knows more than our heart. In fact, he knows everything. One commentator says it like this. Although our lives may bear fruit, that we are covered in the blood of Christ, there will be times where our heart convinces us that we could not possibly go to the Lord with the sin we have committed. This is contrary to God's character as a loving father. Do not listen to your heart. The Lord already said he would forgive you, and he does not lie to us. Our heart, however, will often lie to us. Our Father God is a wonderful, gracious Lord who loves his children so much so that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for him. Do not trust your heart. Trust the Lord. Verse 22, whoops, 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. Praise God if your heart does not condemn you. The Lord has given you confidence. Father God gives us forgiveness when we repent of our sins, he gives us what we ask for because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And so, this um, now we will get into the last two verses, verses 23 and 24. And now is where I will have you flip back probably just one page, depending on what your Bible is, maybe two. Go to 1 John 2, verses 7 through 11. These verses say this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. sorry in verses 7 and 8 in chapter 2 we see that John makes mention of an old commandment that has been had since the beginning but he also says this old commandment is a new commandment which is true in him and in you so at this point in chapter 2 we are unsure of what the commandment is exactly but we do know that it bears fruit. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother is still in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now we can go back to 1 John 3, through 24 John talks about these things as well, but instead of talking about the new commandment first, he gets more specific about what it looks like to love your brother as we just saw. He uses the example of Christ to show us what true love is. Then in verse 23, he wraps the section up by telling us, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. So now we see that John was talking about Jesus. Jesus is the commandment. Jesus is our example of true faith and true love. This command is rich because it sets us free from sin, and allows us to truly love our neighbor as Christ loved us. It gives us obedience to our Holy Father, and God abides in us through the Holy Spirit out of this. I'll leave you with this. Be assured in your faith in Jesus Christ and love your neighbor as yourself. These cannot be separated, and we see that all throughout the text. you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Heavenly Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us, God. We thank you for this night, God. We thank you that we get to come together and hear your word, God, and read it together, Lord, and just understand what it means to truly have faith, God, to have faith in Jesus Christ, who came, lived as 100% man and 100% God, and bore our sins on the cross, God. We thank you that Christ died for us, God. We thank you, that you love us enough to send your only Son to die for us, Father God. That we ask and pray that as we go into discussion tonight, we would ponder on these thoughts, God, and that, that we would be encouraged by this, Lord. Father God, we love you and we thank you for the holy and wonderful God you are. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen.